What is up, Substance? Make some noise wherever you are at, because you did it. You made it to church, and man, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, if we haven't met yet, I'm Pastor Peter Haas, and of course, uh, today we are, we, we're in a series on finding peace, and thank God the Bible has a lot to say about it. I mean, get this, over, a, over 250 passages on peace alone. I mean, talking about peace in your marriage, peace in your finances, peace in your life. In fact, actually, uh, so I remember back when I, I learned Hebrew and uh, at the University of Minnesota and I got to go to Israel and they, 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 every time you say hello and goodbye, you say peace be with you, shalom, right? Shalom means hello, it means goodbye, but ultimately it means peace be with you, and not just with your life, I mean, with your finances, with your, your physical body. It means wholeness, harmony, and if you change one letter in the word shalom to shalom, it means to make restitution, to make things good relationally. And really, that's what we're trying to talk about is just how to make things good, how to make it good in your finances, how to make it good in your life. There's, I, I just, I know that there's another level for me and, and the only way I can experience that, that shalom in my life is by surrendering to God's wisdom. And actually, that's what I want to talk about a little bit today is just how to get it more into your life, into your family. How do we get it into our kids? Some of you are like, that's what I really need is peace in my parenting. And if you're out there and you're overwhelmed, listen, this is God's will for you, okay? Uh, Proverbs 29, 17 says this, discipline your children and they will give you peace. Some of you are like, I didn't even know that was possible. I mean, from really? And they will give you peace. They will bring you, <laughs> I love this, the delights you desire. Some of you are like, wow. Like, really? Okay, you're looking at your kids right now and you're like, I don't see it. No, really, they will bring me the delights I desire. Okay, some of you just turned to your kids and said, that's your job. Do you understand? Okay, no, ultimately, it is, it is God's plan that your kids would actually bring you peace and that they ultimately will bring you the delights that you desire. And if you're wondering if it's possible, the answer is yes. Now, it might take a little bit of, of work to get there because remember, it says discipline your kids. Now, this doesn't mean, we're not just talking about, we're not talking about spanking, we're talking about uh, conversations. It actually means really coaching your kids, calibrating their habits, getting involved with their lives, processing their relationships, their friends, their finances, everything, okay? So it's, it's getting into your kids' lives and when you do, not only will it bring peace to you, but it'll bring peace to them, Isaiah 54, 13. All your children will be taught by the Lord and great will be their peace. Some of you, you don't have peace in your life and you know it, that's why you're here. Well, listen, I really believe that if you would allow yourself to be taught by the Lord, that not only will you have peace, but great will be your peace. It'll be supernatural, it'll be bigger, and it'll be better than anything you've ever experienced that before. But, and I want that for my kids, I want that for me, I want that for you, but let's be honest, in order to get in our kids, you can't export what you haven't imported. It starts with us, right? We have to start by modeling it to our kids, and it's kind of hard to model good behavior to the kids when we don't have it ourselves, right? Have your kids ever driven you nuts? 
And then all of a sudden you realized, oh, you learned that from me. <laughs> ah, you know, like, you know, some people are worried that their kids aren't listening to them. You should be worried that their kids, your kids are listening to you all the time. And then mirroring it back to you at all the worst moments, right? I, I just, I, how do we deal with this, right? I, 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 a while back I got turned on to this one uh, world-renowned, he's a research psychologist, uh, kind of a nerdy guy, which is why I love him. Uh, he's, a, he's a research psychologist who specializes in a lot of parenting issues named Dr. Dr. Robert Epstein. And he had done a huge amount of academic research on how different parenting uh, approaches will affect child outcomes. So when you talk about child outcomes, we're talking about, you know, do your kids use drugs? Do they, what is their risk of, uh, of suicidal ideation? You can kind of go through child outcomes like, are they graduating? Do they graduate with good grades? All these types of things, child outcomes, okay? So he was, you know, there, the, the problem is that there's so many opinions about parenting, right? So, I mean, there's literally over 40,000 parenting books on Amazon, and half of them contradict each other in terms of what are the top values. And so he was like, if I took all of the research on parenting and child outcomes, and then did, he literally did something, it's called regression analysis, where basically it's a study of studies to kind of find out what have, what, what parenting tactics have the greatest impacts statistically and right is it is it a tactic like to spank or to give timeouts or is it a educational opportunities if parents will provide you know their kids with more educational opportunities does it increase the odds that they will turn out is it sports if we get them around other coaches is it you know what what about restricting video games restricting tv is it sugar sugar is the enemy of all mankind okay some of you are like i rebuke that is it you know like what you get the idea, okay? So he was like, let's just try to like, cut through the clutter, okay? And for starters, what was so crazy about his research is that he found that religious upbringing, and he's not, this is not a, a Christian study, okay? He found that religious upbringing mattered way more than the parenting experts realized. In fact, he actually uh, proved that parenting experts today are biased against religious upbringing to, to uh, their own demise. And so he actually made the ultimate argument for getting kids in church uh, just based on pure research. And he actually proved that parenting experts are actually biased against religion when it comes to parenting nowadays, which I thought that was really interesting. But uh, what was the craziest part is that he actually developed the top 10 habits of parents uh, that according to stats, and in a second, I'm gonna actually share the, the top three with you and then prove it with scripture, but the craziest revelation out of all this research is that two of the top three things that he found that parents do that produce healthy kids don't have anything to do with parenting and have everything to do with just how healthy are you as a parent. Now, the reason why that matters so much is because I actually believe the same thing is, rings true when it comes to discipleship. And so whether you have kids or not doesn't even matter. You can actually take all of the, the, the concepts in this message and apply it to discipleship. If you want to be a good discipler, you got to deal with you first. You cannot export what you haven't first imported, okay? Because again... And, and I'm going to share this with you in just a second. Statistically, if you want your kids to avoid drugs, get high academics, high mental health, higher financial success, higher marital success, you can predict almost all of it based on three simple things, okay? And I'm going to share it with you right now. According to research, it comes down to this. 
How much daily time do your kids spend with a loving parent? That was the number one statistical predictor of child outcomes. Not tactics, whether you use bank or not. Not food, not diet, not life skills, not sports, not educational opportunities. It came down to one single thing was the most dominant. How much time do they spend with a loving parent? Um, the highest outcome kids would spend between one and two hours a day with their parents. And of course, you know, all the way down to, you know, the, the average parent in America spends 15 minutes a day with their kids, which you can kind of see why we have problems. But okay, second, second one, second greatest predictor is do the parents have high stress levels? It has nothing to do with the kids, nothing actually to do with your kids. It's you, okay? Third thing, do the parents have a low-conflict marriage or relationship? So even if you're divorced, if you have a, a low-conflict relationship with your ex, that it will decrease the problems, okay? But do the parents... So two of the three actually have nothing to do with things you directly do to your kids. It is... You, it is us, it is what are we importing so that we can export it, okay? So just, now, what, what's fascinating about all this is again, two of the top three things that produce healthy kids don't have anything to do with parenting but have everything to do with peace, okay? The stress in your personal life and then the stress in your relationships, which is all the more reason why we've got to have peace in our lives. It takes us right back to last week. Listen, if we don't know the Prince of Peace and if we're not experiencing the Prince of Peace, we're just not gonna be able to pass that on. Does that make sense? You can have all the knowledge, you can teach what you know, but ultimately, you reproduce who you are. I may have a lot of interesting teachings. That's, that's why it's like almost a cliche, you know, like pastor's kids can be the most rebellious people on the earth, right? It's kind of almost a bad cliche. Pastor's kids are the, always the ones that are, you know, disobeying in the kids' ministry. Well, it's because you can teach what you know. Just because you have knowledge does not mean, being right does not make you in sync with God. Does that make, does that make sense? So there's orthodoxy, what we believe in orthopraxy, how we actually live and how we model that to our kids, right? So what, what made uh, Dr. Epstein's uh, academic study of, of parenting studies so impacting to me is that it, it just reminded me all over again that most parents are worried about all the wrong things. I mean, actually, ironically, most parents are losing their minds trying to get their kids into extracurricular opportunities with the hope that it might increase their scholarships, increase their educational opportunities, you know, sports, music, academics, braces, whatever it is, right? And yet, ironically, these are the very things that are stressing out parents. Like, I mean, we're, we're literally taxi drivers, it, and, and these things are actually decreasing our time with them, which is ironically the number one predictor. Like, anything that decreases your time with your kids is ironically the enemy. I mean, really, he proved systematically that good things are actually killing our kids. It's like the old saying goes, if the devil can't get you bad, he'll get you busy, Right? And I think that's probably true with the American parenting paradigm. We are, are just inundated with good ideas instead of God ideas. And ironically, all of these good ideas are stressing us out. It's causing us to have, you know, 
conflict in marriage because we don't, like, how can you be married when you're constantly shuttling your kids around? And then it's actually decreasing the daily time that we're spending with a lot of our kids. You can kind of see, it, it kind of reminds me of the story from the Gospels. You might remember it. Of, of Jesus with Mary and Martha. He had some good friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and he was visiting them in Luke chapter 10. And of course, Martha was so stressed out hosting Jesus that, that she started actually getting angry at Mary, who just wanted to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his teachings. And so Martha finally not only confronted Mary, but confronted Jesus, like, why are you not getting her to help me? And Jesus says something so profound, and I really think that this is, I think a, a word to parents and families in America right now, he says, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. Man, all you gotta do is go on social media and you'll see people who are worried and upset about many things, okay? Our culture is, is obsessed with, they're upset about so many things. But Jesus says, but few Things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. And what did she choose? She chose to sit at the feet of Jesus. Okay, now I, I, wanna, I wanna point this out again, because I, in a similar way, I think the Lord would say to all of us, few things are needed. Four words that I think can actually change your life today. If you're wondering why God brought you to church today, because he wanted to tell you this, few things are needed. In fact, would you just repeat those four words with me one more time? Say it. Few things are needed. Loved ones, we got to slow things down. Simplify our lives. What are those few things? Well, when it comes to parenting, your kids need time with you and time with the Prince of Peace. Sit together with your kids at the feet of Jesus. We often think that our kids are the problem or we think it's our kids' opportunity, but what if by taking care of first things first, our stress levels and our marriages, all of a sudden, everything just resolved itself with our kids. I sometimes think that we make parenting out to be way more complicated than it is. And in some ways, the, the good news in all of that research that I showed you is actually, if, if, if you even have botched it or messed it up, the good news is you can undo that simply by doing one little thing. And that's just log more hours with your kids and log more hours with Jesus. You know what I mean? In fact, one study, uh, people always ask me, what, what's the one, if you were to say one habit that you think could change all three of those things and just one small little habit that you adopted as a family that made the biggest difference? Well, for my family, it was just doing family dinners together. In fact, actually, a lot of research proves that 99% of child outcomes could be resolved by this simple little discipline, family dinners. In fact, get this, okay, the National Center for Addiction and Substance Abuse at Columbia University, they did a study on families that have dinner together regularly, and they found a dramatic shift in child outcomes for families that just had dinner, okay? And listen to what they found, okay? Um, family, kids that had dinner with their family were significantly less likely to use drugs, experience stress, or struggle with suicidal thoughts. They were more likely to confide in their parents, feel emotionally content, 
pick positive friends and get good grades. In fact, actually, uh, kids who ate dinner with their families were three times less likely to use pot. It cut their rate of substance abuse in half, okay? It lowered the stress level not only in their heart but in the parents' heart, which, again, once again, lowering stress levels. Some of you, like, you're like, well, I hate cooking. That increases my stress. Well, okay, uh, I get that. Uh, but, but you know what? Being together with your family will ultimately decrease stress, okay? It significantly lowers the, the risk of suicide. Well, why? They found that when families would just do dinner together, um, when kids and teens just regularly ate with their family, they were more likely to confide in their parents. Think about that. More likely to confess things to their parents. They were more likely to be emotionally content. The research showed they were more likely to be selective about finding positive friends. Like, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. They, they chose more positive friends. They were more likely to get good grades from dinner. And they were more likely to say that their parents were proud of them. Whoa, all of that from dinner? Exactly. I'm just simply saying it's just a simple habit that hits the, the top three very squarely. Spending time, check. Okay, do the parents have high stress levels? It tends to lower stress, not only in the parents, but in the kids. And then all of a sudden, hey, even if you have conflict, you can actually kind of talk it out. I mean, some of our greatest conversations as a family happened at the kitchen table. Some of our greatest fights also happened at the kitchen table. You know what I'm saying? My kids have endless videos of, of mom mediating our fights. It's just hilarious to go back into them now. But I just... Okay, so now, I, I, but let's talk about this issue of time, okay? Well, I remember when my kids started growing up really fast. So I've got three kids. Uh, we're, we're right now just starting to be, we're in the em entering into the empty nesting phase of our lives. But uh, uh, my son, uh, Eden, is our youngest. But I, I, when our kids started to really grow up fast, I realized very quickly I do not have a lot of time to uh, be in their lives. I started my... One of my friends actually challenged me, hey, hey, Peter, you only have like three summers left with your kids as like a nuclear family. What are you going to do? And it kind of put it in perspective. I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? And so I, I got really intentional about different life lessons that I wanted to, to impart to all of my kids. Okay, so it, like I always tell people that if you think about discipleship or parenting, uh, just Imagine, if you will, that I could reduce parenting into a series of 2,000 conversations, demonstrations, and impartations, okay? So I started making a list of everything I wanted my kids to learn from me. And, you know, you, you could start with, you know, kind of practical things. This is how we use credit cards. This is how we don't use credit cards. This is how we view debt. This is how we read our Bibles. This is how we read our Bibles when we don't feel like it. This is how we read the New Testament. This is how we read the Old Testament. This is how we discern God, God's voice in prayer, this is how we hear from the Lord prophetically. This is how we choose our friends. This is how we steward our sexuality. And so I started writing all these things down, just making long lists. This is how we, and then like not just conversations, but also demonstrations. This is how we deal with, with teachers we disagree with. This is how we deal with bosses we don't like. This is how we forgive friends that betrayed us or didn't mean things to us, okay? So demonstrations. This is how we're generous even when we don't feel like it, okay? So I wrote down all these things, and, and for a lot of these things, I realized, okay, like dating, it's not merely one conversation, okay, and then you're done, and then it's good, right? It's like, it's like you start with 25 conversations, right? Like I, I had my first five conversations with my, when my girls were little. I just told them one thing. All boys are awful. Don't date them. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, just avoid them. You know, like, I, I actually, the thing that I always said is don't date too young because dating too young is like eating frozen pizza uh, before it's cooked, right? And so, like, they knew that. They heard that. They Literally, I repeated that to them like a thousand times. But then the question eventually came is, well, when is the pizza cooked? <laughs> you know, I didn't tell them that. I'm just like, dating too young is like eating frozen pizza before it's cooked. So, but I, I wanted to make sure that I had lots of conversations with them uh, before they were even in sixth grade, okay? Which, by the way, I, I have a million uh, blog resources. If you go to peterhaas.org forward slash parenting, I've got like nine different messages on everything that I taught my kids from dating to sexuality to all this. So if you want more resources, just make sure you go there. But I, I you know, I had my first five convos about dating, but then, they, but then I realized even when my kids could mirror back all of my teachings on dating, they could repeat every little statement I could ever, they knew all of my dating disaster stories, and they could repeat it back to me. It didn't mean that they actually agreed with it. And I found that out after a while where they would share it, but then they'd be like, yeah, but dad, I don't actually agree with this. And then they would, and then, so then I'd have to have another five conversations, right? Where they could wrestle with it. And then what would happen is then they had that one, you know, friend that had a dating disaster, and then I logged five more conversations. Well, this is what we can learn from that. And then, you know, then they actually started dating. And now I actually have to have another five. And then prom happens, then another 10. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, you have to understand. So, uh, but with each of our, our kids, I was always thinking, how can I log these 2,000 conversations before they leave my house? How do I get there? And parents, here, here's where it gets complicated. It's really hard to have deep conversations with your kids until their abstract reasoning kicks in, which those of you who study adolescent psychology, usually somewhere around 12, 13, um, you know, 11 for girls, 15 for boys, uh, when their brains turn on and you can start having these conversations. But, uh, you know, like the majority of these deep convos are going to happen with your kids in like a five-year window, usually right around year 13 to 18. And don't get me wrong, you're gonna, you know, you're still teaching your kids before 13, but instead of conversations, it's more demonstrations, okay? Does that make sense? It's more like modeling instead of processing, because again, it's really hard to have like deep conversations about theology or getting into the Bible and, you know, those types of things until, um, you know, abstract reasoning has kicked in. But I, I bring this up because there's this phase in the life of every young person, and whether you have kids or not, this is the discipleship principle you need to understand, okay? Uh, because teenagers also tend to be very receptive to the gospel, and there's reasons for this, okay? But um, so uh, actually, so in, in, in evangelism, they call it the four to 14 window. Kids are most receptive to the gospel at ages four to 14, then their teachability drops, and then it peaks again, 18 to 22. Okay, so there's these little windows, but as a parent, you're gonna notice, I call this the golden window, and, and this golden window, again, it's like a four to five year window between, and it, it's not a, an exact science, but it's a, it's a window of, of golden opportunity to parent your kids. Okay, now the reason why I point this out is because, you know, for example, my kids could only understand so many teachings on sexuality uh, before puberty, it just doesn't make sense, right? But then all of a sudden after it, they need more input. Why? Because they got chemicals in their bodies that are telling them new things, right? You know, so so on, the, on the front side, you can only have so many conversations until those moments happen. And then on the back side, you get towards the end of this, you know, what, what happens is they become busier and they get more independent, right? They get their driver's license, they start earning money, 
And, and the reason why that's important is because, uh, you know, like the moments your kids get a driver's license, well, they start taking off to go hang out with their friends or they start going to their job. Parents lose two huge tools when it comes to parenting, uh, leverage and proximity. What is leverage, okay? It's power, okay? Like for example, economics, it's a lot easier to incentivize your kids to do good behaviors when they need your money, right? Oh, if you don't mow the lawn, I'm not going to give you cash, okay, for whatever it is. You, you have leverage, okay? So that financial leverage gives you the ability to incentivize behaviors. Well, guess what happens when they get a job? Suddenly, they don't need your money as much. I don't care, Dad. I'm not going to mow the lawn. You know what I'm saying? You lose leverage. You also lose proximity because, again, now they get a job or ultimately they go away to college. Now they're not living under your roof. Your ability to log as many hours as easily changes. Okay? So if you think about it, leverage and proximity decreases in the middle of this. And, and like, and again, you can mentor your adult kids. You will mentor your adult kids. But outside of that window, here's what happens. Okay, now you're going to be dealing with other factors. You lose proximity, you lose leverage, but you also get these additional voices in their life. Uh, you're going to get their roommate's opinion that you're going to have to deal with. Maybe they're dating uh, their romantic someone, then maybe a spouse, a complex social life. My point is, is that there's other voices that you're going to compete with, and it just, it's harder, okay? So does that make sense? Now, the reason why I point this out is because one of the number one regrets that I hear from boomers when they tell me about what do they, what would they go back and change if, if, if they could, it's this. The number one regret is I underestimated how fast the golden window flies by. I underestimated how fast the golden window flew by. This little window, they, they just, when they were thinking about the 2,000 conversations, most people will say, ah, I literally only got to like 700. And then they were gone. And I just, I underestimated how short that window was because it, it just wasn't happening until, and then, and then boom, they're, you know, it, it's, it's complicated, right? I mean, and I get it. A lot of people say, I was just distracted by my career in that moment. Or, or my child was distracted, and we were just like two ships passing in the night. And even though the parents were either super sharp, and they may have been extremely godly, the time clock just ran out. They just, again, they were great at teaching the 600 conversations and impartations and demonstrations. They just didn't get to 2,000. And so what happens is, and, and part of the reason why a lot of parents don't get to the 2,000 before their kids leave, it's, well, a lot of times we embrace different tactics that don't really work well. For example, okay, a lot of Christian parents will use what I like to call legalism to parent their kids. What, are, what is legalism? It's using rules instead of relationship. Instead of coaching, we just say, uh, you know, instead of watching TV with our kids, we just say, don't watch, fill in the blank. I'm just going to forbid you from doing these things, or I'm just not, I'm going to forbid you from dating, or I'm just going to forbid you. Really what it is, is it's, it's a lot of parents saying, it's easier to just forbid you from all these things than it is to coach you, because it takes time, right? Or we use it because, oh, I would feel awkward. I feel awkward. I don't even know how to talk to you about sexuality, or how, so I'm just going to kind of avoid it by just saying, don't do it. Don't touch boys, and vice versa. You know what I'm saying? It's, so in other words, legalism is actually a comfort tactic that a lot of parents use to actually avoid parenting. They just, 
Unfortunately, then those kids just go away to college and do everything that they couldn't do when they lived with you. You know what I'm saying? Like, and some of you, you were that person, right? Or on the opposite end of the spectrum, some of you, you were raised by legalistic parents, and so you're like, I'm going to do the exact opposite. I'm just going to, in fact, here, here are drugs. <laughs> no, nobody says that, right? But I, I, a lot of parents, they kind of don't, they kind of are like, just, I hope you figure it out. You're going to figure it out, you know? The, the problem is, is that kids don't figure it out if you're not in their lives, and, and a lot of times it's too chill on the other side. Or and then you split the difference. Here's the third tactic that a lot of parents fall into, and it's, I call it the ranting technique, is you suddenly realize how short the golden window is, and so then you try to catch up by doing lectures every time you see them. Let me tell you about your oil changing on your car. Let me tell you about the this on that. And, and you just start lecturing them. And then what happens is then teenagers are like, ah, I didn't, I, dad, no. Right? They tune you out, which when kids tune you out, guess what you do even more? Well, now I'm really going to lecture you, except I'm going to do it mad. You know, like, and then kids are going to, like, tune you out even more. So then it becomes a cyclical problem, right? I mean, you, I think we've all seen this play out in a lot of different people, right? And so my advice to parents in the golden window is this. Just, here it is. Slow your life down, or as Jesus put it to Martha, Luke 10, 42, few things are needed. Few things, less is more. Parents, turn your five-year goals into 10-year goals, because let me tell you, when you start empty nesting, you're gonna have more time. Okay, and, and maybe you're out there and you're like, yeah, but Pastor Peter, my family needs my money now. No, they need you. They don't need a bigger house. They don't need a nicer car. They don't need a, you know, like we have so many elaborate, and I would even dare to say idolatrous expectations for our kids that are actually undermining what they need most, and that is time with you. They don't need money, lessons, sports, all these things. They need time with you. Get rid of anything that decreases your time with your kids. Less is more. You have to model it too. And, and I, like I, I wouldn't let my kids do anything that got in the way of family dinner, church, or time with us. And you know what? Because professional careers, they'll always bounce back. They're rubber, in the juggling act of life, they're rubber balls that will always bounce back. What will not bounce back is the glass ball of your marriage, your physical health, your relationship with your kids, okay? So you gotta, you gotta learn how to drop the right things. And so, and guess what? If you do it right, if you log those 2,000 convos when they're young teenagers, okay? So you get it in early, okay? You're, you're on the early side of the golden window, uh, here's what happens. Instead of playing catch-up with your adult kids, which is really stressful because you've lost le leverage and proximity, you can instead spend that time, now that you've invested in them, now you can actually focus on their girlfriends, their boyfriends, their fiancés, their spouses, and then adoptive kids, which is actually really fun. It's fun to be able to actually, and then you're ministering with your kids to all of their friends. That's ultimately the goal is to get in on it ahead, okay? And, 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 but what's hard about this golden window, if I could really be honest, is the very moment when kids are most able to, to have deep conversations is the very same moment where they don't want to, right? That's kind of like, so what do you do? How, what's the life hack to that? Well, you gotta dive into their world. You gotta, you know, like even when, they, all of my kids went through a reclusive phase where they didn't wanna be around dad, every one of my kids went through a phase where I don't think they liked me at all. But you know what? I didn't care, I'm just gonna jump and flop on their bed 
And I had to do a lot of dumb things to get into their world. I'm like, you know, stuff I didn't want to do, right? Did I want to flop in their bed and watch endless YouTube videos about baby seals? No. <laughs> but did I do it? Yeah. I learned a lot about baby panda bears. You know what I'm saying? Like, did I want to learn Minecraft? No, I didn't. But I, did I do it? Yes. Did, I didn't want to learn Fortnite. I didn't want to learn everything about One Direction. Do I like them now? Yeah, strangely. Here, and here's the truth. It took two hours of Lego Batman video game to get 10 minutes of good dad time. That's what it took. I had to earn the right to speak. It, it was like an exchange. Okay, two hours of, of Lego Batman to get 10 minutes of good dad time. I know all the Barbie movies and I cannot unsee them. <laughs> I can't. To be honest, I kind of liked them. They were actually better than I, you would think. Uh, guess what, though? I, I logged a lot of great combos along the way. I could have just said no to that TV show, and I said, I'll said, I actually said, maybe if I watch it with you, and then let's process it. And I ended up having some great conversations watching some of those TV shows with them. And I, I just, you know, and, and here's another little secret to avoid ranting in the golden window is, um, you know, most, most kids don't want to hear a lecture, but they love to share their opinions. And so I would, I would constantly ask my kids for advice. I would constantly come up to my girls and say, hey, you know, I've got this friend at church who's got a son who, you know, is dealing with this. What would you tell them? And then I can find out what programming actually made it in. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can ask, like, how would you advise this parent on coaching that person on dating? You know what I'm saying? And then I'd listen to their opinions. And uh, I, I always tell parents, never, ever waste a relationship disaster in their lives, right? You're talking to them, oh, your friend just got dumped. Okay, why do you think that happened? What could they have done differently? You know, like, I want to hear, right? Or like, oh, your friend just got suspended. Why? Why, did, why do you think they're in a fight with that teacher? Why do you think the teacher doesn't like them? Let's talk about this. Like, I would constantly get their advice. And, and, and here's the deal, okay? There's a, there's a little bit of an art to this. And I, I want to encourage you, if you think this message is helpful, um, you're actually going to love, we, right here at Substance, we have a small group that is launching called Revival Parenting, taught by our very own Amanda Carrera. And Carrera is our longtime Substance fam. Amanda's a, a, a parenting coach. She actually taught uh, this, the, her curriculum to our staff, and it was mind-blowing. I loved it. I even just re-watched it again recently. Every parent needs to go through this at some point. So if, you're look, if you feel overwhelmed and you just want more ideas, make sure you, you check that out. But here's the truth, okay? Even if maybe you're here and you're like, well, I've already messed it up, right? I mean, not only did I, I mess up the goal, it's... I broke the golden window. There's golden glass everywhere. Like, listen, listen, let me encourage you. It is never too late. It is never too late. And we serve a God who is so redemptive. And he's got a plan to turn it around. And whether or not it's, it's maybe it's your parents failed you or you are the parent who failed at somebody else. Listen, it is never too late. We serve a God who can raise the dead areas of our lives. And even more than that, he has an adoptive family called the church that can fill in all of the gaps where you need it most. And actually, when you look at the parenting research, kids who attend church, even if, you, even if kids who attended church with a really dysfunctional family, guess what? They can still defy the odds. Kids who attend church on a weekly basis have the highest graduation rates, highest GPAs, highest mental health, lowest drug abuse, lowest suicidal ideation. I mean, you, you name it. 
Church is the equalizer, and so please just dive into the resources of this great adoptive family that God has for you. And I, I just, I really do believe that he will turn things around. And besides, even if you botched it, one of the greatest lessons that you can teach your kids is how to apologize and own it. And I've had to do that a lot over the years. And as one last story, I, I remember years ago, I botched it with my kids, my family and I, and I we, we came home from a long family vacation. It was one of those overly long car rides that I probably shouldn't have done, but uh, so we just were in the car, we were in the, the minivan, the loser cruiser, I called it, uh, for seven hours, and I was just like, oh, I cannot wait to get home. I'm so sick of my kids. I just want them to get into their own bedrooms so that I can have peace, you know what I'm saying? And so, yet, the moment I walked into the house, it was the exact opposite of peace. Why? Because when I tried turning on the light, the light wouldn't go on, and I'm like, what the heck? And then I go into the next room. I tried turning on the light. No lights. There was literally no electricity. And then I looked at my neighbor's house. Everybody else had electricity but not me. And I'm like, come on. I just want to relax. I just want to. And so then I started, I started going down into my basement to get to the switch breaker. And the moment I got to the bottom of the steps, splash, my feet were just absorbed six inches of water, okay? I, my whole basement was flooded, and not only was it flooded, I mean, you have to understand, this is a finished basement, and our church offices were in our basement at that time. So all of our computers, our copy machine, everything is just like swimming in water, and I ran back, and sure enough, uh, there, well, while we were on vacation, a pipe broke, and it was spraying water all over my bookshelves, all over, I mean, everything. I'm talking about my photo albums, we're floating. I'm talking about my, my books. I'm talking about our, our, our like memory bins. I mean, everything priceless was literally submerged in water and I was just so overwhelmed in that moment. And then, I, I, and then the pipe, I suddenly saw the pipe that was spraying out all over everything and I, I ran up to the pipe and, and tried to put my hand on it to stop the spray and then all of a sudden it exploded even more. And it's just like raining down on me. And I'm like, now I, like, Oh, I'm not proud of what I did next. <laughs> but out of the depths of my soul erupted just this primal yell followed by the loudest and longest cuss word I have ever <laughs> spoken in my life. And the moment I finished it, I turned around to see my two cute young daughters standing there with wide eyes. <laughs> they were like four and six years old, the cutest girls you've ever seen. And they were just looking at their daddy. They had never seen their daddy like this before, ever. And they just tiptoed back up the stairs. <laughs> Fast forward a couple hours, Carolyn was putting the girls to bed and my oldest daughter was really honest with her mom and she just said, so, mommy, is daddy going to hell? <laughs> I mean, they had seen a side of daddy that let's just say wouldn't fit in heaven, you know? And I. They were legit concerned, you know, like, is daddy gonna make it? Because based on what we saw, that'll make baby Jesus cry. You know, like they were just for sure, right? And so to the point where Carolyn had to come talk to me and, and Carolyn was like, hey, Peter, the girls are legit concerned about your salvation and uh, they will not be able to sleep until you go talk to them. So I, I knew, I knew I needed to go in and talk about the word that I said and uh, and so I walk into their bedroom and they were huddled up in their nightgowns on the bunk bed just with wide eyes like, who is our daddy? 
And I just, I had to be honest with him, like, I'm sorry, guys, I, I, I shouldn't have done that, and, and Daddy needs the two of you to pray for me, you know, like, I've done things, I've been places, you know, the convo. And, 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 you know, like, I had to explain how I needed them to pray and ask Jesus to forgive me, and then I needed to ask them for forgiveness. And it took a while to convince them that Daddy and Jesus are good now, you know what I'm saying? Like, I will go to heaven someday, and they still get concerned every now and again, but I, I just... You know, here's the truth. The greatest lesson you can teach your kids is just how to apologize when you fall short. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. And, and then just but, but be honest about it. Own it and, and, and change. I think demonstrating repentance can be a very powerful thing. And, and that's where I, I'm, I, I wanna end with this. The ways of wisdom are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. Listen, it doesn't mean that it will always be peace-filled getting to this place, but I do believe that ultimately when you do, I believe that peace will actually flow in your lives and loved ones. This is why we do church, it's why we do small groups, why we do kids, why we do youth ministry, is that I, I really believe God and the church wants to fill in the gaps, and um, all of us have gaps in our lives. And so here's how I wanna end, is I wanna end just by praying for you. Um, you know, whether you've, no matter what you've done or haven't done, God has a remedy and a solution for you and he has wisdom for you. And all you need to do to receive it is simply just ask him for it and surrender to it. God gives wisdom generously to all without finding fault. And so no matter how young or old you are, I believe that God has a plan of redemption for you that is beautiful and that is filled with peace. Would you just receive it from him right now? I believe the Lord is speaking to you about all sorts of different relationships in your life. He's got solutions for you that can unlock the doors in your life that somehow got locked over the years. And so Heavenly Father, you see our lives, you see everything we're worried about, you see everything that stresses us out. And Lord, you have a solution for every last one of us. I pray that we would receive that solution right here and right now. And and that begins by us just repenting and surrendering to you. And in church, if you're agreeing with the prayer that I'm praying right now, then just repeat this after me. Say this. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me, renew me, and reign in me starting right now in Jesus' name. And just start thanking him for what he's doing. Right now, he's sending out angels on new assignments. He's sending out dispensations of wisdom that will rectify everything in your life. Jesus, we receive you, the Prince of Peace, into our hearts right here, right now. In Jesus' name we pray. If you agree with that prayer, say amen. 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 With all that said, we're going to have our campus pastors come on up and tell us where we're going to go next. Love you guys.